This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek. Welcome to episode number 13 with the infamous Steve Cockrum. Steve, how are you today, my friend? Well, I'm amazing, but I'm just going to congratulate you, Jeremy, because in the many, many times we've recorded these podcasts, it's the first time you've done the intro in one take. So gold you, stars for you, brother. They say it takes 13 times for you to, to really get good at and craft your, your entry, and I, I've done that. So I feel, feel liberated. Yeah. <laughs> Consider yourself highly supported and highly challenged in equal measure, Jeremy. So great. So where are you? Are you back in Oklahoma at the moment? I'm in Oklahoma. Yeah, currently. I was watching last night. I was watching the um, horrific uh, presidential debates. And uh, <laughs> I was watching Donald Trump uh, sniff and snort into his microphone and mm. almost be a brawl um, on their town hall. Debate. Yeah. Did you get to watch it in the UK? Have you? Did you get to see any of it? It takes a lot of um, ex. You know, it's two o'clock in the morning over here. Don't forget, the, the whole world doesn't revolve around was, America. So you know, it was not worth it. Um, I read about it this morning, and uh, let's just say in Europe at the moment, every day is another day of realizing how on the earth is Donald still standing. That guy, if he'd been a boxer, I think the I think his coach should have thrown the white towel in by now. But. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure he's going to give up. Do you think he's going to get all the way to November, still on the paper? Oh, it's it's interesting. Uh, so so when you think of of their options, it's just miserable. I think at this point in time, the Americans would vote for the vice presidents over <laughs> the presidents. I mean, the, honestly, the first time I think I could could say that I would actually look at who the vice presidential candidate in is, and that's who I'm going to vote for. So it's just fascinating. Uh, what's the what's the general view? I mean, it's got to be laughable uh, in, in the UK. <laughs> hey, don't put words in my mouth. Uh, well, I, I know Americans don't understand Brexit and they don't understand all these different things. But uh, for for you guys looking at, at American politics right now and, and the leadership uh, chasm, it's got to be <laughs> very, very interesting. I think the thing is that, that Hillary over here is a lot more popular. So I know coming to America a lot that Hillary would not necessarily be the most popular contender. No one over here can really comprehend that someone who's been at the centre of politics for years, carries herself with a fair degree of what they would appear to be statesmanship and has travelled around the world, has any danger of losing to Donald Trump, who seems like a, a caricature almost of everything that could possibly be wrong. Um, with American politics. I think the thing is, I would say, I often say, is having been to America so many times and a deep love of your people and culture, most of whom I think are amazing, I still can't believe that out of 400 million possible contenders, these are the two that you've ended up with as your choice between president. I can think of at least 50 leaders I know who would be way better um, at being the president of the United States of America than these two. But then what's so funny is uh, my view after living in England, my view was that most people think of Americans their first as Donald Trump, like the obnoxious New Yorker who uh, <clears throat> is, is braggadocious and can get anything he wants. And so it's almost it sort of fits the stereotype in my opinion. <laughs> hey, hey, Jess, do you want me to tell you my conspiracy theory 
about Please. the American political... So basically, if this is true, it may be the last time you hear me because I suspect some drone strike will take out my house if it's true. But I reckon I heard from someone when I was um, at the Supreme Court, note my name dropping there, I can't tell you what I was doing, it's on a need-to-know basis. But basically, <laughs> here's the theory, that Hillary did a deal with Obama when Obama won the first presidential election against her and in return for paying off all Hillary's debts from the campaign, Hillary got to be the Secretary of State. And when Hillary got to be um, president afterwards, Obama would be made a Supreme Court Justice in Washington, which is why his family is staying in Washington for educational purposes. You heard it here first. Never let it say this podcast is not topical or contentious. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you can very easily see that. My, my thing is like he's almost too young. If it was me, I'd be like, you know what? Give me 15 years because that's for life. Yeah. And he can tour around the world and, and globetrot and be a, a superhero for, you know, anyway. But to your point, I think you, I think you might be right on. I think that well, will probably happen. Nothing gives me greater pleasure than hearing you say that I could be right. So I will leave it there and we'll move <laughs> on to the bulk of our podcast. So today um, we're going to be looking at um, a concept which... You know, I'll let you tell them the story of where it came from because this really came out of our time. You know, when we were living together in our uh, big country with, estate with our families. With <laughs> you, you always say that, and it's actually true, but it's funny listening to your reaction. When we were actually living together as two families for the first year when you came over from America, and tell them a little bit about where the gears came from because that's going to be the theme of our podcast today so over to you jeremy so you mean the uh, dysfunction that i saw in your your life and no, i'm joking the mutual the mutual dysfunction that's very sweet of you i think it was more dysfunction on my part but there we go no it wasn't it was actually what happened is um everyone deals with work-life balance issues of some regard and when you when you merge two families together and you start looking at each other's life and you started looking to go, okay, how do you lead your kids and how do you lead and talk with your wife and how do you communicate? And so both of us were able to explore one another. And on top of that, I was learning how to drive a uh, stick shift uh, left-handed because in the UK, can you imagine, uh, you know, you have to use your left hand for a manual stick shift, which really made me feel like I was 16 again. And um, I'm just grateful that they didn't switch the gas and the, and the clutch like if that that'd be a death trap right so uh so what was, what happened was, was bad the, enough you just trying to drive let alone if that had been the case absolutely apparently the, roads, roundabout? apparently the roads are not wide enough for american drivers no i mean the the roads you guys all of anyone listening has ever been to england they're, they're amazing if you love to drive now when you're learning to drive again <laughs> with a left-handed stick shift they're just a little complicated so uh, anyway, all that said, and I did, I did fine. My my family suffered whip, whiplash for a little bit, but um, but it led to this really amazing metaphor that some of you have heard and um, some of you have read because a book came out in two thousand and fifteen. But it, on the five gears, and it's really just a, a metaphor to explain how do you be present and productive when there's never enough time. And the reality is that many of us are overproductive. Um, and underpresent, and some of us, well, very few of us are overpresent. Most of us suffer from being overproductive and not being present with those that are in our life or 
those appropriately in our life. And so we end up being in the wrong gear at the wrong time. So um, that's the general metaphor. So Steve, maybe talk real quick, and I'll, I'll give the five gears here in a minute, but talk about real fast um, what your memory was when it first came about and how impactful or what, what was happening. Yeah, so I was usually up long before you starting work because, you know, I, I'm a highly, highly driven task focused kind of person and Jeremy and I, I was shared on sabbatical office. how's that I was on sorry, like sorry. a little rest I, I was Keep under going. the impression that Americans were really hard workers and that kind of you know that's what you did but Jeremy would come down with his pipe and his slippers about nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I'd obviously be working hard for at least a couple of hours and I would have been um, I'd have been working at things my brain would have been into strategy how we're we gonna do this so Jeremy would come in you know whatever time it was mid-morning usually with your cup of coffee and I would go immediately, well, Jeremy, I've so many things I need to talk to you about. This, 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 what do you think about this? And you would say to me, good morning, Jeremy. How are you, Jeremy? Good morning, Why don't Steve. You... Well, no, that's what I should have been saying to you. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, there yeah. you go, there you go. So the, the gist was that you were coming in expecting some relationship. I was well into task and work mode by that stage and said had you been here at seven o'clock when i started then we could have had the coffee chat but i'm i'm in productive mode now i mean you know and so the realization that actually i was in a completely different gear to you and that in some ways if you hadn't been so real and challenged it you'd have gone hey steve why can't we you know let's just connect before we get into work let's actually spend some time catching up and i'm i'm joking about the time it, you know it's it wasn't you were that late in the morning but it always makes me smile when i poke fun so there we go <laughs> well steve uh, for those who don't know steve's not the doesn't sleep um typically all night and so he's he sits in bed and thinks about things and and uh, but he's he's always working, which is great. It's been great to have a, a business partner like that because I think we're equally yoked. And but what's what's interesting? What happened to us is we realized, you know what? There's a time and place for everything, and sometimes we're out of sync. And we started then applying that to our spouses, and then we started thinking about our colleagues, and that's where the five gears began. It began in Hedzer Priory in um, Bourne End, England, and just a, a, a great, great memory. So let, let me explain the five gears, what they are. Um, so the five gears, again, I've given you the manual uh, idea of a manual stick shift. The whole idea is if you can become automatic in your emotional intelligence, uh, shifting from manual or moving from a manual to automatic. And if you think about your vehicle, automatic vehicles shift for you. So they actually know what gear you should be in. So those with a relational intelligence, they know what gears to be in. So fifth gear is hyper-focus mode. It's when you're in the zone and you're getting things done. You're knocking it out. You might be working on a project. You might be in front of a computer. You might be thinking. You might be reading something. You're just so focused that it takes three Steves to get your attention. And by the time the third Steve, you realize, oh, my goodness, I was in my own land right that's fifth gear and it's a really really powerful gear fourth gear is multitasking so multitasking is uh emails phone calls interruptions uh meeting with people um to-do lists you're knocking things out you're getting a lot of things done but at the end of the day you may go you know did i really accomplish anything i knock things off my list but you you just uh had a tendency to kind of get distracted in task world Third gear is social space. 
So it's the space where you are connecting with people, um, chit chat, you're in the weather, uh, sports, family, vacation, kids, whatever it is. It's, it's simply more social. And again, uh, it, it, that's a funny uh, gear because a lot of people either love it or hate it. And then the second gear is connect mode where you're going deeper with uh, a friend. You're on a date night. Um, you've got uh, maybe a, a, a child where you're talking deeper than just shallow. You've actually bonded and connected with someone. And then first gear is recharge. So recharge is the gear where, where you learn how to, to recharge your batteries. You learn what it takes for you to be energized, and you're consistently re-energizing yourself uh, on a daily basis, whether that's introvert activity or extrovert activity, uh, That's whether it's reading, exercise, walks, uh, devotionals, to what, whatever it is for your own world where you, are, uh, you know what, what you need to be able to recharge. So those are the five gears, Steve. You want to you want to share with them what re- reverse is? Yeah, because I'm really good at that gear. Um, that's responsive <laughs> mode. That's basically where you realise that you've you kind of probably said something or done something that wasn't particularly appropriate or helpful. And responsive mode is just basically being able to say, "I'm sorry, my bad. It's my fault. You know, I got it wrong. Can we reboot? Can we start again?" And in some ways, that that's that's though there are six gears, there are five forward ones and. That reverse gear, that responsive mode or responsive gear, if you can't do that one well, it will always catch you out. It will always undermine your influence with people as a leader because in the end, everyone's seen you've done it. It's whether you're prepared to own it and be responsive in that particular situation. And uh, the opposite would be resistant. So you can choose to be resistant, which is blaming people. And uh, and so, yeah, so we put all this together and you've actually got a gear, a mechanism for you to learn how to become automatic in emotional intelligence and connecting with people. So um, let me give you some examples of that. Um, fifth gear and fourth and fifth gear, those are work gears. And they're really, really important. And, uh, you know, there's a time for work. It's work. Most people, if they're not doing that, they might be a, have a tendency to be in second or third gear. So we, we often say, you know, when you're in an office situation, you need to understand that you need all the gears and to be in the right gear at the right time is the focus. It's, it's, that's really what you're focusing on. So to being in the right gear, of fourth gear or fifth gear is appropriate. If you're in second gear and having deep conversations with a, in a cubicle with a colleague, it's probably the wrong time. It's the wrong gear and the wrong time. So what happens is when you put all this together and you start looking at individuals, I mean, think about the people who have come in your life and um, who have walked into, let's just say you're at the pub or you're at, at a dinner or you're, you're relaxing, you're in third gear with some friends and in walks a colleague from work and he sits down and he starts being in fourth gear. Hey, did you talk to Pete earlier? Hey, you know those numbers? Did you get the numbers? And you know, we've got the budget coming up and you're looking at him and you're looking at your clock. It says 730. And you look at him again, and you're like, seriously? Like, you don't get it? So the beauty of the gears is it's actually a sign language. You can actually begin using the gears to help people learn how to be in the right gear at the right time. The problem is that person who walks in probably doesn't know what to talk about. The only thing they know what to talk about is work. So they actually undermine their influence because they talk about work in the wrong time. 
and therefore makes you want to do everything possible to stay away from this guy. That is an example. So if you actually can show them, hey, um, you know, hey, Frank, and you hold up three fingers, then all of a sudden he knows, oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm in the wrong gear. Got it. Now the gears become a tool for objective language, not subjective nagging or judgment. So, so when we were together in Heads of Priory, it wasn't just that you were lazy and hadn't got on with your work. Actually, I was already into fourth gear, even fifth gear at times in the morning. You'd come in, I'd engage you as if you were in fourth and fifth gear as well. But really what you were doing is saying, hey, Steve, let's do some third gear. Let's kind of connect. Let's just chat about the weather. What did you watch last night before we then move into the work mode? So we were missing each other because I was in the wrong gear relative to what you were in. Is that fair? That's absolutely, yeah, and it's hard when you have a, uh, we had a manor, and he had one wing, we had one wing, but we were using this house, uh, so the house was a place of home and work, so for many people who are listening, it's hard because, again, if you have a home office, it's knowing what gear you should be in and what time, because your house is both, it's home and it's work, right? So, and that's the issue with a lot of, of uh, uh, adults, is that they disconnect with other people and they're not aware that they're simply in the wrong gear. So my wife and I, we've been working hard on calendaring to know what's the appropriate time, what gear should we be in? So between 6 and 8, 6.30 and 8.30, we're in there. Those are second and third gear times. It's not time for fourth or fifth gear, unless my wife and I, unless we've worked on that. Uh, so we're having dinner together, we've got three kids, you know, we're trying to connect, uh, that's second and third. And so if you do it well and you teach it inside the, the family, all of a sudden everyone's holding each other accountable. So my daughter, Kate, can hold up two fingers and go, Dad, and she, you know, she's basically saying, second gear, let's go. You're in the wrong gear at the wrong time. It, it's not that you're, you're bad or you've, you're simply forgotten that you're just in the wrong gear. And so, you know, we, we've talked before to people about that the key is self-awareness of know yourself to lead yourself. We, we all have a, a gear order. Some of the gears are more natural to us. Some of them are by nature a struggle. And we've just found, haven't we, that having that vocabulary and language has given ourselves permission. So when you think back, what, what was your gear order? What, what did you find easy? What did you find most difficult when we were at Headset? Yeah, so uh, I've, I've had a tendency to always be in fourth gear. That's my number one gear that I'm always in because I, I like to get things done. Um, You're American follow- as well. That kind of ruins it a bit, really. <laughs> but followed by heavy third gear. I like yeah. to connect with people and, and kind of joke around. So third and second gears, four, three, two, five uh, can do when we were writing the book. Uh, one is really hard for me. I don't know how to recharge because I'm an extrovert and I'm recharging a little bit all the time, but I don't know how to deeply recharge. So that's that's always an issue for me. Uh, how about you, you, Steve? You were always you were always, and I thought it was incredibly noble. And it's quite hard for a thinker to get this one, but it was almost like you felt responsible for everyone having a fun time the whole time, and so therefore, for you to actually take time for you to recreate, to recharge, to almost take time for yourself, that was the thing you you seemed to struggle most with until we actually started talking about this and realised. For you to be at your best, you have to find a way to recreate, to see first gear as an essential component of what it means to be a healthy uh, leader who models things that others can do. 
Um, for me, um, obviously I find all five gears perfectly accessible. Not. <laughs> um, I'm a natural fourth gear person. I love to work. I think even the capacity to help people with some of the Jedi mind tricks that we've accumulated over the years almost means that even in social environments, I so easy just default into helping people. So for me, I would go four, three. Um, they would be the two gears I find easiest. First gear I find pretty easy to do. I'm naturally selfish. Um, I can quite happily take myself off to the gym or the movies or whatever it might be. I never found it difficult for me to choose first gear because that was easier. Fifth gear, I think, was you know enforced fifth gear. Um, so if I'm on an aeroplane, I get a lot done, but I don't like being on my own for extended periods of time. But the gear I really struggled in, which was always the most embarrassing gear, which is why you keep reminding me about it, is second gear. I actually found it really hard to stay in a non-work gear and be truly physically, emotionally and intellectually present, even with those I loved for an extended period of time, without defaulting back to work or task or thinking about what we were trying to achieve. So that was, if you said to me, how good was I at connecting with people? I'd have said, I'm, I'm really quite good. But that was the big aha for me with the gears, which was actually I struggled to stay in second gear, to really learn how to put the phone away, how to close the computer, how to sy symbolize to my family that I wasn't working. And, uh, you know, as an extrovert, it all comes out occasionally because you're sitting there watching a family movie or TV show and all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes, oh, by the way, did I tell you about so-and-so? And it's like, Dad! And they hold up two fingers and go, you know, Dad, we're in second gear. You're sat in a second gear context, but it's patently obvious to us, even without your phone, your brain is still in fourth gear. So that's been a really helpful way for me of learning how to be intentional, you know, choosing second gear and working at the gear I'm not as good at. So it's, it's a skill set. And you, the great thing about the gears is you can really develop your skills and you can really work at it in an intentional way. But we all have our blind which, spots. Which is so practical. That's the fun part about it. Because most adults, especially if you enjoy your work, right, mm -hmm. it's addicting. We like our work. We get excited about it. We find our identity there. We do a lot of different things there. So, Can I just translate that word for our non-American audience? Addicting is the word addictive for those of you who speak English. Addictive. So just thought Thank I'd you. help you. Good, good. That's great. Yeah. So the the whole idea then <laughs> is uh, we're we're actually at a place where we can uh, so enjoy work that we can easily overwork. And what we may not be aware of is that our minds are constantly going. So when we're overworking, we're actually Friend, on the fringe of being present or lack of being present with people. So overworking, overproductive lifestyles can, could actually cause under-present relationships. And in the future, that's where drama occurs. That's where, that's, those are the seeds of divorce on the negative, on the extreme cases. Those are the seeds of children not speaking to the parents. All of that happening in a, a situation where people didn't mean it to happen. It just happened. And all we're doing is we're giving language mm -hmm. so that people can start to understand. And it's actually a mind trick. So here's what I've done for, uh, for me in, in calendaring. And I, I call it mastering transitions because it's learning how to, how to transition in and out of being in the right gear. So uh, first and foremost, it's important just to share the tools, like sorry, share the, the tool of the gear, share the gears, teach what fifth is, fourth, third, second, first. Uh, let people understand that, whether it's your family, whether it's your team. 
when that's been done, then for you to set your own triggers, pick a location. So on the way home, for instance, um, I have a uh, bridge over a lake. When I hit the bridge, it's about two and a half miles from my house. That's when I trigger to myself, shift gears, stop, get out of, I might be on the phone through my car phone uh, or, or, you know, talking to someone or, uh, or thinking about something or, uh, but all of a sudden when I hit that bridge, I stop what I'm doing and I start thinking about my family. I think about what we're doing tonight. Okay, mm-hmm. we've got a dinner tonight. We've got two couples we're going to dinner with. That's a third gear setting. Who are we meeting with? What are we doing? So I'm already engaging. So that by the time I get home, I've already shifted into that gear, mm-hmm. which means that the chances of me being present with my wife on that topic goes up versus me going home, driving around the cul-de-sac a few times, <laughs> finishing a call, walking in a little bit late. I've got the phone still to my ear, getting the eye from my wife. I know, I know. Then I eventually hang up. Oh, it's been such a busy day. I'm so sorry. You know, doing that whole bit when I could have eliminated that drama. Mm-hmm. So all I did is gave myself three miles. Mm-hmm. And in that process, I've shifted to be in the right gear. So when I get there, I'm present. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It <clears throat> makes me relationally more astute. It makes me connect with my wife, ready for the dinner, and good to go for that evening. And most people just don't think about that because most people live accidentally and not intentionally. Yeah, no, I love it, Jez. It's good. I think of a couple of examples just in the last two days. So on Saturday, we had um, we, we went out for family brunch, which I don't know whether brunch is an American word, but somewhere between breakfast and lunch. And there's five of us. Um, everyone, of course, now has an iPhone or something equivalent. And what we do is when we get there, everyone has to put their iPhone in the middle on top of each other and the first person to pick up their iPhone has to pay for brunch. So this is with the kids. We, we put all the phones out of the way. Because what we know is, um, some of us worse than others, but we're all addicted to our phones. So the moment that the conversation is not interesting enough or just we want to check on what the sports score is or the weather, it's amazing how often we reach for our phone. And so therefore, as a family, we said, okay, well, there'll be certain times where we put all our phones on one side and we'd actually really just talk to each other. Now that sounds a terrifying admission, but you'd be amazed how few families with children ever truly sit down and just be together in that process. So, you know, I, I think, I don't know whether any of the people listening, but I think the the joy and the curse of the kind of the, the new cell phones that have always on, so emails coming, Facebook, social media, sports, whatever it is, I, it was amazing for me how even though I was reading good stuff on my phone, my kids associated the phone with me being in fourth gear. I thought I was in first gear where I'm actually just recharging, I'm reading, I'm watching something. But I've had to be really intentional about where I leave the phone at different times. Because to my kids who are like 16, 12 and 5 now, if I'm on my phone, as far as they're concerned, I'm working. So that's another one that people just... It's worth thinking through what are you communicating to those you love most because in the end, our, well, my addiction to my phone sometimes makes them feel that work is more important than they are. And that's just another one of those simple little, you know, if anyone else struggles with that, just try it. Just try putting your phone away for a meal or a period of time. Yeah, So, and then also for those from a work perspective, take this into work, right? So what I 
what I started doing um, was if, if I have a meeting at four o'clock, then I've, I've in the past put up a, um, an alarm at 3.58. And I take the 58s like right before my meeting mm-hmm. and I make those my, my alarm, my trigger. So at 3.58, okay, it goes off. Okay, who am I meeting with? I'm meeting with Chris. Great. Um, so I start in third gear. And it's, it's fascinating what will happen. Um, what, the re- reason we're talking about this, by the way, is that it's emotional intelligence. It's a, it's a tool for you to increase your influence. So if Chris normally walks in and I'm sitting at my computer on my email with my head buried, I might look at him for a second, but I go back to my email and I point to him and I go, Hey, yeah, hang on a second, Chris. Just let me finish this. Yeah, but one second. What I've done is I've made it awkward for him. I've stayed engaged in fourth gear. I shift over to him and get, yeah, what do you got, Chris? What's up? Well, you called the meeting, um, <laughs> right? So what, what happened is I've created this situation where it's like, Chris is not really excited to meet with me, to come in the meeting. But instead, if I'll do the 358, it went, goes off, start in third gear. Chris, what's happening? How are you? Well, most people ask that question. They don't ask that question because they don't, they don't want to know the answer because <laughs> Chris is going to take time to, t- to <clears throat> say it. What I've found is if Chris can speak for two to three minutes mm-hmm. and he can actually, we can connect for two to three minutes, our productivity will be even higher because Chris will want to be around me. He'll know that I'm appreciating him. There'll be bigger buy-in and it'll be more productive. But often it feels like, no, I can't ask questions. I just need to get right to task because I don't want to take any time. But but human nature is such that we're we're creatures of relationships. So people want to know that you're for them. And one way to show the support is, um, hey, Chris, how's it going? How are you? How was the weekend? Okay, great. Now, what are we working on today? Well, that's a natural transition shift into fourth gear. So ha- having the gears and knowing how to use them, and you can, you can use them on colleagues, it's great. Uh, Mike Opadal, who's our managing partner, has a famous story. He was walking in. We were in a third gear setting. Uh, I was speaking that night. He comes walking in. He hasn't seen me in a long time. He says, Jeremy, I'm so excited to see you. We've got so much to talk about. And he starts listing fourth, like fourth gear activity, all these things we need to talk about. And I look at him, and I'm talking to someone. I've got... Uh, a, a coffee in my hand and I look at him and I just hold up three fingers and I go, Hey Mike, three. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, right, right, right. And he goes over and finds someone and starts networking with them. He was in the wrong gear at the wrong time. Love so it. when, when moms and dads come home with kids and they stay stuck in their fourth and fifth gear activity and they miss that opportunity, wrong gear, wrong time. When a colleague is at work, comes into a third gear setting, wrong gear, wrong time. Learn how to shift and be in the right gear at the right time, and you'll watch your influence grow dramatically, yeah. just like Steve Cockrum's has. <laughs> You're I'm, very I'm kind. joking. I, what, one <laughs> of the favorite ones is, uh, you said at the beginning that some people really struggle with third gear. It tends to be the one you either love or you hate. But you, you often used to say this, kind of most, most businesses closed in third gear, and that kind of stuck with me. T- tell, tell the listeners a little bit about what, what you meant by that. Yeah, I, I, that phrase, I, all business starts in third gear. So meaning the opportunities come in third gear. So third gear is, um, again, golf course. Uh, it's the social dinner. Uh, it's chit-chat um, during, uh, at the airport. Or, so what happens is a lot of people, they, they're, so, they're either shy 
A third of the people are shy, where they just are so afraid of what the other person is going to say. So oftentimes they become wallflowers, and they're so you know, flustered, they don't say anything, and I think they've taken themselves out. Their influence is diminished. On the other side is you have people who are so arrogant in that you're like, I don't need another best friend. Do I really need to go to that gathering? What are we going to talk about, really? And so when someone comes up to you, hey, yeah, where are you from? You kind of play the, yeah, good to meet you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they move <laughs> on. And so you've now, you've now already cornered yourself, painted yourself in the corner that you're an arrogant uh, you know, uh, person when, and you've, you've actually lost influence. I, I tell people all the time, you, you have no idea who that person is or who they know or who, who their, you know, family is. And so here you are, uh, thinking you're above the situation. You have another third of the population, uh, who loves third gear, who's ready to party and ready to connect. Some of them overdo it, uh, <laughs> and they stay too long. So, the, the idea that we've created, and Steve and I have created a tool, basically, um, that, that, that helps people with this idea of being interested before being interesting. So the whole idea, of, if you're afraid of third gear, then stop thinking about yourself. Start thinking about the other person. Ask a simple question. Where are you from? Where's your hometown? What are you passionate about? What are, you, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? You're being interested and in the process, usually they'll reciprocate and they'll ask you and they'll be interested in you. So now you've got a real simple um, tool to overcome shyness. Be interested <clears throat> before focusing on yourself, on being interesting. So, but, but I just would tell all people, Steve, don't miss out on third gear. Third gear is where you'll run in, you'll meet people and that could benefit you in three to four years from now and you have no idea. If you'll engage. Love it. Captain Connector. Connectors, for those of you who remember voices from a few episodes back, they always love their their third gear and they just masterful at that process. Some of us have had to learn it. And I think some of the more introvert characters who are wired for depth and in some ways struggle sometimes with those kind of, you know, client dinners in the evenings or the after dinner meet or the, the, the glass of wine at the bar, whatever it is. That thing that Jeremy just said there will help your influence no end. Learn how to work on the gears that you struggle most with. You don't have to become world-class at it, but if you improve your capacity for the gears you struggle most with, you end up basically having far more influence or keeping far more of your influence because your weakest gears are usually the ones where you undermine it without realising it. So we, we've given everyone, I hope, a pretty good... Um, sort of immersion in the gears as a vocabulary. Uh, part of what we do at Giant is use vocabulary and language to create culture. It's incredible how simple this vocabulary and language is, but also how quickly it will begin to define the culture in your family, in your home, with your friends. So Jeremy, any sort of final thoughts or anything you want to add in before we draw this one to a close? Yeah, well, so what we'll do is, and I think we, we probably ought to do a, on our next podcast, we can talk about how the gears and voices play together. And right. uh, that would be really helpful for people who want to understand um, th their voice and what, what it, how, how it plays out. But there's much more to this. It's very, very simple, uh, mm -hmm. and yet it's very, very complex. Because once you start down the road of the gears and understanding it, and you start seeing yourself and what's it like to be on the other side of your, yourself, you become dumbfounded, like, oh my goodness, I'm always in fourth and fifth gear. 
So uh, we haven't even gotten into um, any of, of the uh, specifics about your your timing of like fourth gear. Do you wake up in fourth gear? Uh, when do you turn off? When do you turn on? How do you how do you have certain relationships? How do you create this in the workplace? Um, so all of this is in a book called The Five Gears. So I would just tell them, Steve that you know that's available for any, all the listeners, and and we'll share a link. It's Amazon. If you like to go deeper, it's a playbook on emotional intelligence. Uh, we also have a masterclass that we can share uh, some information on if you wanted to learn more about this and really, really apply it. But for those who have, and we've had some amazing letters and some amazing feedback from those who have actually taken the gears and implemented it in their life, their relational dynamics change dramatically. Drama goes out the window pretty quickly because what we're teaching you is to, learn, to be objective, not subjective. And really, that's what the five gears does. It helps you to be intentional and objective uh, with with yourself, but also those in your family. So that's all I'd say, Steve. Thanks again for all the listeners for for listening to our our episode number thirteen. Fantastic, Jeremy. Thank you very much indeed. Good to speak to you all once again. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.